What do you love about being outside and active? I'm, I'm sure I've spent more time outdoors than in. That just feels like home. Enjoy what you can do because you never know what is around the corner. Just being outdoors in the fresh air, it just clears my mind. Fully immersed in nature is what brings me the most joy. Season 12 of the Outside and Active podcast is here. Scott Jenkins is the first guest on the brand new season as he shares his experience taking on three 200 plus mile ultra marathons in just six weeks. Scott is a Welsh ultra endurance runner and philanthropist. He has an impressive ultra running CV that spans across 12 years competing numerous challenges and races along the way. He's run the deserts of Death Valley, the forested wilderness of Washington State and even the freezing landscape of Iceland. And Scott has recently become the first Briton to complete the Destination Trail Triple Crown, a challenge which consists of three 200 mile races run consecutively over four months. An achievement we speak about in this episode, and it's actually the first time that Scott speaks so openly about this incredible challenge and achievement. You can read more about Scott and his previous accolades by heading to his website, scottjenkins.co.uk, and you can also check out our sponsor of this episode, Dry Robe, who I'll talk a little bit more about later in the episode by heading to dryrobe.com. Before we start, I just want to ask everyone listening to this for a favour, and it's a favour that will take literally 10 seconds, and it means so much more than you can imagine. If everyone listening shares this podcast with someone who you think would enjoy it just as much as you, then we can continue growing this outside and active community. Also, if you want to share and also like and subscribe, if you're watching on YouTube, then please do so. Leave a comment and let us know what you think about this episode. Without further ado, let's head straight into this episode and conversation with ultra runner Scott Jenkins. Scott, the advice for you this week comes from previous guest Monique Parker, who is a nutritional therapist, and her advice is quite simple, but I really like it. It's get outside and use all of your senses, which I think really boiling down to it is all about being present and being aware of your surroundings, isn't it? I think so. Um I think there's um, there's something like that we don't have in day to day life in 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 that kind of advice as well, and um, it's really interesting. Get outside and, and use your senses. Like I think when I go out onto the trail and do these ultra runs, um, it's some of the happiest moments because actually you're living in the moment and you're not worried about what's happening on your phone or you know what's on Netflix tomorrow. You're actually just thinking about okay, I've just got to run and the 10 miles and you kind of you kind of blend into the um the environment a little bit and you're just kind of focused on on moving forward and whether that be wind rain sun you know you're feeling that in your senses you're feeling the elements and um it just makes you happy to be outside pushing yourself i think somewhere along the way humans have mistaken uh, comfort for happiness so getting outside and using your senses um it, yeah does make sense to me to do that well, it leads on perfectly to a question that I ask to every single guest, and it's purposely vague, and you've kind of answered it a little bit there, but what do you love about being outside and active? Um, for me, it is exactly that, like being outdoors. Um, you know, today, let, let's just take today as an example. I've been sat at home, working uh, from home, working on the laptop, getting free emails, speaking to people on the phone. And, you know, by this point in the day, it's four o'clock, you know, I'm hungry. Uh, I haven't really done anything of physical exertion. You know, I can feel like, um, you know, my mental uh, yearning, if you want for a better, one of a better word, to want to be 
outdoors and being active um and you you've spent the whole day just kind of sitting down and actually whilst it doesn't make you unhappy it doesn't lead to a healthy you know balanced lifestyle so you know this evening i'm gonna go outdoors and have a little run in the rain once the, the wind and the rain stops here in the uk today and and for me that just like it, it makes you feel alive and you know i said it a couple of minutes ago i do think that humans have mistaken comfort for happiness over over time and actually some of my moments of being out on the trail having an adventure not knowing what's over the the, the next kind of horizon um and it motivates you to keep moving forward and you think about like our ancestors like that's what we used to do that's what we should be doing as human beings is exactly that being outside and, and being active so the more of that that i compass into my life alongside you know my commitments uh, to work then the better i feel personally as an individual I couldn't agree with you more. Good, good answer. Um, and if people people couldn't have told from uh, the, the title of this podcast, um, c- congratulations are in order because you you become the first Briton to complete uh, the Triple Crown two hundred, which which I'm sure you've heard a lot over the past sort of what has it been f- couple of weeks that you've been home. I mean, when did you get home and how's the recovery been? <laughs> Firstly, thank you so much for the kind words. It, it really means a lot to me and. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to just say a quick thank you to as well all the people that have um, taken the time to message me and, and send me comments on on social media and on text and all that kind of stuff. It's um, it's taken me a while to work through all those <laughs> messages, and um, I'm still doing so. But I'm just so grateful for for all the love and kindness people have shown me over the last two weeks. I I got home. Um, Sunday the Sunday before uh, straight back into work so that brought me back down to reality immediately yeah. getting back into the daily grind and um, it was actually only this past weekend where you know, I had a bit of time to reflect and look at some of the photos and the videos and um, yeah it just feels like uh, this huge adventure that I've been on since well the beginning of July really and um, yeah just feel very lucky to have been on this adventure and get out there running and um, really push myself but like to answer your question the, the recovery is going uh it's going well um i say well uh <laughs> with a bit of pause because um i got a bit excited on uh, saturday night my my friends very kindly uh, made me some lasagna uh to which i helped myself to two portions then i helped myself to uh, sticky toffee pudding for dessert uh then i may have had may or may not have had uh, a handful of haribo um, maybe a quarter of a tub of Pringles and a share sized bar of dairy milk, which felt great at the time. I mean, I've been 36, uh, 33,600 calories during race. Um, however, uh, come 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, uh, I was surprised to, to find that I woke up needing to vomit <laughs> all of that food back up again. Um, so that's how recovery is going. I'd love to tell you that I'm doing lots of healthy stuff, but actually I was just filling my boots on Saturday night with lots of junk food and it was great while it lasted. And you're, t- and you're telling me that didn't all of that food didn't react well with your body? I can't believe it. Can you believe it? And I actually had the tenacity to uh, to ask my wife, why am I being sick? I can't believe this. Um, maybe it's because you just burnt that many calories and now you've tried to put them all back on. And sitting but there we go there we go i'm just jumping in here to tell you about gyrobe gyrobe have been supporting us for a long time 
and it's great to have them back. Dry Robe is the original outdoor changing robe designed to help you get active outside whatever the weather. A bit like having your own portable changing room, the oversized design of the Dry Robe Advance gives you plenty of space to get changed in and out of a wetsuit or sports kit, but is versatile enough to be worn as a coat or jacket. Made from 100% recycled fabrics, the waterproof and windproof outer protects you from the elements, whilst its super warm inner lining helps you to dry off quickly after getting out of the water. What people really love about the Dry Robe Advance, though, is its versatility. It's perfect for a huge range of outdoor activities, including surfing, wild swimming, triathlon, paddleboarding, mountain biking, camping, and even just walking your dog in the torrential rain. To find out more, head to dryrobe.com. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to pick your brains about this challenge that you've just completed because it is amazing. And I've got some facts to, to kind of bring context to people that might not know about this challenge. But I want to take a step back a little bit and just ask where ultra running or the door to ultra running actually opened its door to you. Because I know you completed an incredible challenge back in 2010, 75 marathons and 75 days. And that seemed to be a, a a place where the trajectory towards ultra running took but where do you think for you you kind of first heard about it and were interested in ultra running uh, thank you for, for the kind words and, and asking that question i appreciate it so um it all started for me yeah back in 2010 and you're, you're absolutely right it was around that period um i'd always played uh, football uh, not to a very high standard as you can imagine um but I, uh, I got to kind of my early 30s and um, I just thought, right, I, I need to find, you know, a sport that I've always enjoyed and something I can focus on now. I've hung up the boots from the, the third division of the Cardiff and District uh, <laughs> Football League, which you can imagine the standards. No, 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 no more explanation required. Um, but basically, I was working in a gym as a personal trainer, and I remember that a guy called Colin used to, to come into the gym every week. Uh, and Colin had been through a, a cardiac event, a significant one at that. Um, but every week, he, it kind of surprised me. Like, he always came in. The weather was, you know, like it is today, like chucking it down with rain. And he'd always come in and he'd be smiling. And, you know, the one week I just asked him, you know, he's doing his exercise, and he'd look. You come in here every week, mate. Why are you always smiling? And he said, well, look, you know, I've been through something that was quite difficult, but also I feel like I've had a second chance at life. And, you know, I kind of thought to myself, well, actually, you know, that's some good advice there. You know, what am I doing with my own life that, you know, when I get to Colin's age or older or whatever it is, I, I can look look back on with some fondness. And I'd always enjoyed running, you know, when I was in school, did 1500 meters and things like that, done half marathons. And um, I just thought, well, actually, you know, maybe I could push myself to do more. And, you know, my brother was of a similar mind and still is, loves his ultra running too. Um, and that's where Boston to Austin came to uh, fruition. So we decided to run two fast miles from uh, yeah Boston to Austin uh, to raise money for the British Heart Foundation help the heroes and our, we were joined by our friend Rusty from Texas who did it for salute America's heroes and yeah 75 marathons 75 days and and that got me hooked on it and from there I've just looked for, for different opportunities to try and push myself about myself but to continue to to try to do some good so that when I do get to that older point in my life I hopefully have some seminal moments to look back on with some fondness, 
but also you know know that I've hopefully tried to make other people's life uh, or their journey through life better where I can and you know one of the best ways to, for me to do that is by raising money for Operation Smile which is a charity that I support and they um, they basically do surgical intervention for children with cleft uh, palate cleft lip all around the world that can't access surgery for it and yeah if I can do everything I can to, to help put some more smiles on people's faces then I think hopefully it'll create those moments that I can remember when I get older maybe Although I'm getting old now, I mean, I've got plenty of grey hair. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up uh, that 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 kind of charitable foundation side of it as well and supporting these amazing organisations um, because that must play as a point of motivation for you when you're taking on these incredible challenges. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, and when, when you go out onto the trails in these places, you know... I guess when you, you tow the line of a 200-mile race, so you know there's going to be dark times ahead. There's going to be so many problems that you almost kind of you, you think about them and then you kind of like disregard them and think, well, that you know, we'll deal with that as the problem arises. Try to prevent them, of course. You, you know that inevitably there's going to be dark times, and actually, it's having um, almost like a little toolbox of different options to be able to to draw on but the one that i consistently come back to you know when it, it really hits the fan so to speak is actually you know why am i doing this and it comes back to the element well you know you don't want to let people down and you want to keep moving forward and and deliver on what you said you're going to do for a worthy cause and yeah that that one always uh finds a way to motivate me when it, it gets pretty dark and it does get dark at times out on these trails for sure and giving people listening that maybe don't know about a significant amount, a uh, significant amount about ultra running and the type of races that you have done in the subsequent years since 2010. I mean, it's numerous, 100 to 250 you know, mile races in in that region over multiple days in, mul- in in completely different parts of the world. Is it one of those things where you complete one race? I say you complete a marathon, you think, okay, there's a there's a further distance here. You complete that. And then you think further distance, you complete that distance, maybe more altitude and more climb. Is that is it that constant sort of personal stepping stone that you keep trying to build, you know, keep trying to find different ways to challenge yourself? I think it is. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there already. You know, last night I was sat on the sofa thinking, what could I I do next? (laughs) And I'm like, hmm. Miles that doesn't sound unreasonable, which <laughs> I, I've definitely got a warped sense of reality at this point. But um, yeah, I just I, I guess you you do one, and then you think, well, you know, if, if I could do that, then maybe I could do this. Um, and there's always new ways to challenge yourself. And to be fair, you know, it, it would be nice to go and try and train to do a sub three hour marathon to qualify Boston. There's so many things that. I'd love to to go and do. I mean, at the moment, I just absolutely love running the 200-mile distance. Um, and I think the reason for that is, first of all, the, the listeners that maybe aren't aware of the 200-mile distance, it, it is uh, it's non-stop miles. So, you know, traditionally, you used to get, like, kind of stage races, and you still do. Um, but these are 200-mile uh, non-stop races that I like to try and go and do all around uh, the world, really, wherever they kind of exist. I'm interested in going to, to give them a go. But the interesting thing for me is... Um, 
it's not just about like okay who's the fastest runner like it might be in a in a marathon or a, a 50 miler it's actually about okay you know who can fuel right who can hydrate right who can you know move efficiently over you know 60 to to 80 hours of, of running um whilst not making mistakes whilst you you get more and more tired um you know things like sleep become really I might be able to not run as, as quick as you, but actually, you know, I might be able to have a more efficient sleep strategy, which enables me to move through that course uh, more efficiently. So it's um, it's a really interesting distance for me. And every time I go and do one of these races, I know we were chatting just before, like I'm still trying to nail my nutrition on the first day of these races. I have a habit of being sick and I continue to learn um, and enjoy learning. And as long as that continues, then I'll continue to, to try and compete at this distance, I think. It's interesting to hear that you're already, already in the what's next sort of stage because <laughs> I think a lot of people that have run anything from 5K up to these long distant races will know that the, the time period afterwards where they go what's next because I had I had written down I mean one of the races that you've done before Badwater 135 which is through one of the hottest places in 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 the world um I put alongside the the Barkley Marathon and the and the um the MDS as sort of races that are infamous to people outside of the running community as well I mean obviously I've mentioned one that you have done but there's two there that maybe that you haven't done have they been on your peripheral because they're not 200 miles you're not interested <laughs> um I, I loved the bad water experience as well that was amazing especially for for us from the uk like going to to run in death valley it's like 52 celsius and you can probably tell i'm a pasty welshman so uh, <laughs> i shouldn't be anywhere near temperatures in that kind of extreme but we got it done and um you know i couldn't do it without the help of my support of the the people me and my crew and my wife but um would definitely love to go and do Barclays for sure like I would love to get into that I know I met Laz a couple of years ago at the national running show and um I definitely mentioned to him that I would love to do it one day so um yeah I I've always had like bizarrely quite a good sense of direction um so I'm not saying that I would do great at that race but it would at least Give me a chance of, um, yeah, I can walk past something once and be like, okay, yeah, I know which direction to go. It's like an ingrained thing in me. It's a weird thing, but I can't, I've got a good sense of direction, so I think it would be all right for that race, um, certainly to, to try it at the very least. Um, and then Marathon de Saab, uh, not so much. Um, I think, you know, it's a very, very tough race, Um but I, I don't like the element of it being a stage race. Um, yeah. Maybe it's the, the sadist in me, but I, I'd, I'd love, yeah, maybe go and run it nonstop. That would be pretty <laughs> cool. Maybe just a suggestion for the Marathon de Saab organisers. Um, no, I'm not saying I could do that, but it would be, uh, yeah, something that I would love to get to, but there's lo other races that I would love to do first as well. So, um, very foolishly, two days before Moab, the uh, Hard Rock 100 uh, lottery opened. So, uh, for the third year in a row, I've put my name down in in that one. Fingers crossed. Uh, I last night again, whilst I was sitting on the sofa, uh, I've run qualifiers for Western for like the last four years. So I've put my name in lottery for Western States for next year. So uh, please pray to the running gods <laughs> that I finally get my shot at Western. That would be cool. So yeah, so many races, so little time. Uh, and when I mean time, annual leave to take 
<laughs> yeah, well, exactly. The, just before we dive into to, to explaining what the Triple Crown is and, and talking through those races, you are uh, you, you do work full time and you do balance what you do in the running world with a corporate job. I mean, how do they support you with that? And how is balancing not only actually running the races, but it's all the training as well. Yeah, and it, it is tricky, and I'm so grateful. Uh, so I, I, I work for Johnson & Johnson. Ironically, I specialise in, in hip and knee replacement, which is perfect <laughs> for the, uh, the the ageing ultra runner, is what I would say, and I speak to lots of customers that but when yeah, we have a chat about running and they find out what I do, you can see them kind of look at my knees and think, mm, I'll see you in a couple of years maybe. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, for, for me, like I've been so lucky this year uh, to be supported by by my boss and my boss's boss and my boss's boss's boss to to go and do this triple crown in America. And with, without that support, I simply wouldn't have been able to to spend the time going to do it. And I'm very grateful. And also when I say that, you know, I'm very grateful to the team that I manage as well because, you know, I appreciate I've been away a bit this year doing these races and, um, you know, they, they've cracked on and, and done an outstanding job whilst I've being away so um i might even forward in this this episode to just say hey you know i'm grateful to you guys and i'm grateful to my bosses for giving me the opportunity to go and do something like this get it clipped up and sent over to them i like that um so like i said (laughs) diving into it the the triple crown it's three incredible races and three what look like unbelievable locations what is the triple crown to you um, the Triple Crown to me was uh, was a dream that I, I wanted to do since I ran uh, Moab in 2019. So um, the Triple Crown, in essence, is three 200-mile uh, races. So the first one uh, is the Tahoe 200, which play, takes place in the mountains around uh, Lake Tahoe in California in July. Um, so as you can imagine, the um, the heat uh, at that time of the year in California is pretty hot and you're up on, you know, above the, uh, the Alpine. So you're, you're up above the tree line, basically, uh, getting, you know, hit by the sun, uh, and all the weather up there in the mountains for the first race. And that's 217 miles turned out to be this year. Um, then, um, this year, uh, very uniquely, uh, the second race, the Bigfoot 200 was two weeks after Tahoe 200, and the reason for that was Tahoe had had so much snow, 58 foot, which still blows my mind of snow in the winter, Crazy. that they had to postpone uh, Tahoe until the middle of July. It created a backlog, so I had two weeks um, to recover, which is really difficult to do um, after a 200-mile race, and then I had to run the Bigfoot 200, which uh, is the toughest in my opinion of the three races uh which is um 200 miles 206 miles in the uh, uh a very remote area of the cascade mountains in um the washington state in the pacific northwest um the best way i could describe it um is if you ever watch any of those bigfoot documentaries mm-hmm. uh where people are like I, I swear i saw a bigfoot last week it's that kind of terrain just heavily heavily forested um, and you have to work for every view. It's mountainous and it's 47,000 feet of elevation gain and decline. So it's just a real quad killer, a brutal race. Uh, and then the third and final race I did, um, as you right say, two weeks ago, uh, and that's the Moab 240 over in Utah, uh, which is 40 miles again, around about 33,000 foot of elevation up and down. 
features you know desert in the day uh well not just in the day at night as well but desert terrain you're running through like red rock canyons it can be 30 degrees in the day and then you can find yourself up at 11,000 feet in the LaSalle or the Abajo mountains at night and it'll be minus temperatures so big temperature shifts uh, make it very very challenging and obviously that kind of distance the more tired you get the more mistakes you make so it's a very very challenging race so if you complete all three in one year then that is essentially the triple crown of 200s you've listed that off perfectly and you've given some statistics around it to give some context and i'm going to add a few more in there because these are incredible i'm right in saying 125 individuals have completed this in eight years more people have climbed everest than completed this and the total height across the three is it's just over 113,000 feet. I think just over. It's it's quite it's about 113,500, which is like climbing Everest almost four times. It just putting it into context. And <laughs> this year was specifically different, different and shorter, like as you just mentioned, because it was two and a half months instead of a longer time period that the three races in, are, are in between. So all of that added together is is, is pushing it. It really is pushing it. So when you, you're you on the start line okay. of Tahoe, which Tahoe's the only one that you hadn't completed before, isn't it? Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're in the start line for that. Are you just thinking, right, one race at a time, or does your mind drift to the entirety of the challenge? Um, I think in the run-up to it, I was thinking more of the, the overall challenge and, and just trying to... Because I had to, because I knew that I'd be over in the States for a period of... Well, yeah, just under, yeah, just over five weeks. So I had to prepare for both races. But then, as soon as I got to Tahoe, I just went into focusing on on that particular race. Don't think about anything else. Just, um, and I, I've it's a skill I've learned over the years. But I used to start, you know, longer races like Grand Union Canal race and think, wow, I'm going to be still be out here running tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start at Tahoe, you think wow, I'm still going to be out here running in probably three or four days' time, um, which I find super overwhelming. So all I do is just break it down into segments. So when we started the race, I had to put my son hoodie up and put my hat down and just thought, right, just get to the first aid station at 15 miles. You know you know, there's going to be altitude. You know it's going to be hot. Um, just got to trust in, in the process and trust that you've trained all right. And then if I can survive the 15 miles, then... I can get to um, the turnaround of the out and back, which is at 30 miles. And what was really interesting, that first, uh, I think it was the second 15 miles from 15 to 30, we had the biggest climb of the course over Armstrong Pass. And you're climbing up it in the heat of the day, and it was really not much you know, water up there. And you climbed over the top, and I ran down the other side, and I was just thinking, oh, my God, I've still got to climb back up over this. And then down the other side of it, just to get back to my crew at, at 60 miles. And then even after that, I've still got 140 miles uh, left to run. And it was meant to be 200 miles. And for whatever reason, I ended up with 217 miles. But so I didn't, I didn't go wrong on my uh, my file, on my, um, on my GPX direction. So I think it just winded up being a little bit further than we thought. A little bit further, 17 miles further though at the end of 200 is a little bit longer than you'd probably want, even though you're a little bit longer. It's funny you say that because um, when we got to, I think it was, yeah, like 203 uh, miles, so began um, interrogating my pacer as to why we weren't finished. And um, I remember him turning to me and was like, 
dude, it's my pacer, Tim, great guy, American guy. He goes, dude, I need to tell you, we still got 12 miles left to run. And I was just like, oh, God. Because you're doing the maths and you're thinking, well, 12, okay, maybe this is going to take another three or four hours, especially in that mountain terrain. Like, you're not dropping seven-minute miles down the trail at at mile 203 to mile 217. You you know, you're probably looking at, like, 17-minute miles and that's if it is, if the terrain's good. So that actually really got to me. And um, I, uh, yeah, had a little meltdown, not in a, a, just in a sobbing kind of way on the side of the trail, questioning my life decisions <laughs> uh, and saying, you know, I really need to get done before sundown. And actually that was because I'd built my sleep strategy right and I'd got it right. And all of a sudden, I'd got to the point where I thought I'd be done and, you know, I'd be resting and going for a sleep. And all of a sudden, you're staring down a barrel of an extra four hours of running in the mountains. And um, that was overwhelming, for sure, that moment. But I just knew I needed to keep moving forward. And at that point, I was sat in 16th, and I just wanted to do my best to stay in the top 20. And I was very fortunate to do that, thanks to the help of Tim. He managed to motivate me and cajole me up the mountains and yeah came home in 19th place so I was pretty happy with that for the first race because I wasn't expecting to to be in the top 20 for the first race because to be a quicker feel too so yeah it was pleasing so you know what position you're in during the race you can check the tracker or do people just know um a lot of the time you don't have signal because the, the races are, are so remote, so you don't have signal. But um, actually at Tahoe, we had a bit of phone signal towards the end. So as we were coming in, I was able to kind of like look at it and go, okay, you're, you're in 15th or 16th or wherever it is. And you're thinking, okay, I've, I've still got a decent advantage over that person or not, as the case may be. What does it the, definitely gets tactical for sure. I can imagine. I can imagine <laughs> it was inter- it, your read up, which is on the the outside and active website, which kind of outlines uh, um, around what we're talking about. Um, talking about yo-yoing with certain runners, with Sally as well, who's been on this podcast before, and just kind of giving yeah, she's great. Yeah, giving words of motivation and supporting each other. But obviously, there's that natural competitive element with yourself, but also the people around you as well, which which must yeah. be a really you must get to know the people, especially the the people doing the triple crown. I mean, you know them from the years and the races beforehand, but especially when you're doing that two and a half months of running, you get to know them. It, you you really do, and um, whilst there's obviously that competitive element, everyone's to do the best they can. I think there's a real camaraderie there, and in, in that there's a massive amount of shared. Everyone's going through the same, you know, physical and, and mental, you know, challenge that, that everyone out there is experiencing, and um, I think it's really nice because you know. <laughs> whilst you want to do well you also want other people around you to do well and you want to see people finish and and do the best they can as well and you know i saw sally uh, uh, all three races and what was really nice is that the first time i met sally was um presenting on stage at the national running show usa in boston last february and um i think if you told us at the time that at the end of the year you'll you both end up in uh, 
in, in fourth and fifth position uh, in the Triple Crown. I think we both would have been very, very happy with that. Mm. So um, I certainly was, and it was great to see her out on the trails too as well. So, um, yeah, it was cool. It was a cool adventure. So you finished Tahoe, and it's during record high temperatures, and you're thinking, right, I've got two weeks of recovery before I then take on Bigfoot, which is a race that you've completed before, but you've also not finished before two times. Mm-hmm. So how does that two weeks look? Um, yeah, it was a really interesting interesting one because um, unlike my recovery post-Moab, I knew that I had to be a little bit more sensible in my approach to it. So immediately, um, you know, my, I'm coached by a, a, a great ultra runner. I'm sure you know of him, Jeff Brown, in from Arizona. He's what he, well, he's actually the course record holder for the Moab 240. Um, you know, he's won hard rock multiple times. Fantastic runner, um, and he basically told me everything to do. So it was really in a high protein diet, trying to get the information down. So we did that. Then we did um, uh, cryotherapy. So we, myself and my wife, Abby, who was also crewing me, crew chief for the, the Triple Crown, um, we went on the road. So we did a little tour around the U.S. for, for two weeks, um, went up to Idaho, got cryotherapy. Um, I'd taken over my Farragun, I'd taken over my Farabody um, recovery boots as well, the compression boots, yep. and they helped a great deal. And then it was just trying to you know, eat healthily, rest, go in the water, try and get the swelling down all those things just to try and, you know, calm your body down so that um, it's ready to, you know, take on, like I say, the, the most difficult race of the Triple Crown, in my opinion. Um, and I thought I was ready, and I think I did everything I possibly could to do it right, but um, I knew it was going to be a really big challenge going into Bigfoot. Yeah, 47,000 feet of elevation, like you said earlier. And did you did you say there were sores underneath the bottom of your feet or there it, it was really sensitive, which was causing pain. Of course, when you're coming up to something, we know there's going to be some difficult climbs. It's not really what you want. No, no, absolutely not. And um, yeah, I had, um, I had blister damage, so there weren't sores as such. Like obviously the skin was still pretty beaten up from, from the late Tahoe race. Um, but the biggest thing was underlying sensitivity to the, of my feet so as soon as we started the race after about three or four miles you could you know feel the the damage that was being inflicted on them and all those tahoe miles kind of came back to you you know like oh wow this is this is going to be tough and then after about six miles you um you come up on the side of uh, mount st helens and it's all volcanic black rock so actually sorry it's yeah it's about six miles in all volcanic volcanic black rock so the heat is not just up above you and again it's 30 degrees right you know it's america in the summer it's hot it's bouncing down off the rocks it's hitting you and i remember i went to wipe sweat from my eye and as i did i was running obviously and um i just hit this massive rock in the middle of the trail and immediately felt this like huge pain like through my big toe all the way up my shin i just thought oh my god this is going to be one of those days a couple of miles later the pole um and it's just the whole of the first 60 miles from bigfoot were an absolute suffer fest like like nothing i've ever experienced before um and bigfoot you know every section of that race is tough so just trying to even get to my crew at 42 miles was a, a massive challenge. And I, again, spent most of that first day vomiting, um, trying to keep food down, trying to stay hydrated. And it wasn't because I didn't have a good plan in place. It's just, you know, it's 30, 35 degrees Celsius and you're trying to carry, 
you know, three liters is probably the max that you can carry, uh, maybe three and a half, and you'll run out on, on that kind of terrain because you're simply going to be out there for too long. So it has an uh, it has an effect that way as well. So it was rough the first day of Bigfoot. Outline how important the crew, like you said, mentioned Abby there, who headed up the crew, how important the crew are across all of these races because they're going to see you in periods where you just either don't want to see anyone, you're emotional, you're angry, you, you, you want them to know what you need before you tell them what they what you need. How important are they? Honestly, like I personally, I, I know there's people that run uncrewed, but personally, like I don't think I could do it with without the help and support of um, my crew. Like they're just incredible. So Abby is my wife, and she crewed for all three races. And then I was joined, lucky, so so lucky to be joined by so many members of the running community. So uh, Tim, Jake, my friend Bill, um, Linia, uh, Devin, um, my friend Ben, who came out to the last race, my coach Jeff. I, I think I've named everyone there. Like, but they were just um and they're by your side in in some of the the toughest moments and typically you're not allowed to pace her in these races until uh maybe i think bigfoot's 42 miles but the other two races are like 60 70 miles so when you get that pace it's such a big difference it really does and um you know there are some pretty scary times as well Uh, at tahoe um lee who joined us for a section and um, Molly as well joined us for a section at Bigfoot, but at Tahoe specifically, we're running up the trail on an out and back section uh, near Tahoe city. It's not city. It's just a, a trailhead pretty much. <laughs> um, and we're running up the trail and Lee says, you know, stop. And we look up the trail and there's two bear cubs. And, um, you know, we're, we're like, what, what do we do? And he's like, dude, just don't move this. There's going to be a mama bear somewhere around here. And sure enough, we look over to the left-hand side and this this bear stands up that's the size of what looked like a Nissan Micra to me. It was just <laughs> absolutely enormous. And I just I said, what do we do? He said, just don't move, don't move. Um, and the cubs, you know, there was this, it probably lasted 10 seconds, but it felt like 10 hours. The, the cubs ran across to the mum and they took off. Um, but being in that situation without a pacer would have been utterly terrifying. Um, similarly, in the last race at, at Moab, me and Devon were running up the trail, um, and it was in La Salle's just before dawn on the last morning of the race. And these are things that you, you don't really, you know, deal with in a UK trail race. <laughs> no, not really. Um, head torch catches something in the bushes look across and there in the tree line are two mountain lions stalking us um and again i'm just looking uh, absolutely kind of shocked and terrified looking at these two mountain lions i said what do you do and next thing i know devon starts uh shouting and making noise and i'm like dude stop i know we're probably meant to make noise but this is making me more nervous don't do anything um and we stood still for about a minute and we just started decided i said look let's start walking up the trail and we start walking up the trail and eventually get around the corner it's like go as quick as we can let's go then they all so seven minute miles <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure if you look at my my strata i probably like go from like 17 minute miles to like four minute miles or something for three miles the, and then die again yeah they're the times that you really wish you were hallucinating and not encountered with wild alarms <laughs> and bears <laughs> terrifying and you know they're 400 pound apex predators and early in the race going into the second night 
I'd seen a dead cow on the side of the trail. It was only when I got alongside it that you could see that mountain lion had, had ripped its its throat open and you're just thinking oh my god you know going into a night section into in the mountains on your own and uh, that's pretty unnerving that section to be fair absolutely well you, you made it through finished 25th at bigfoot sally pipped you in the first one you had her in this one um and then you actually you had a bit obviously a bit longer of recovery but you head back to the uk and then you go back to work it, can you switch off in that time because then you have to switch back on again or are you actually quite grateful for the break um i was actually yeah i was actually quite grateful for the break just to to get home eat some home cooked meals get back into my routine um, and typically you know during the week i train in the gym or on the treadmill um and and do it that way and then on the weekends i tend to do my longer runs outside um, and that's the way that i like to work it works for me um and it gives me the balance alongside you know a very busy kind of corporate job so that's the best way that i can do it so being at home having the break made a big difference uh, and then it allowed you to kind of rediscover that um enthusiasm for the the last race as well because you think right okay i've got this to look forward to um, which is probably why I'm already thinking, well, I need something to, to look for. And because you, this is your favourite race that you're going into by, by your own claim that the Moab 240, am I right in saying you have the, the British course record in that as well? Yeah, I do. Yeah, so 77 hours in uh, 2021. So, so you, um, have, yeah, you, was... you have confidence coming into this race or are you still kind of, you know, concentrating what you need to do i think it's a balance yeah like confident that i know the course but not overconfident enough to know that you know anything can happen in a 240 mile race i mean you're literally running i googled this the other day to see how far it was and it's literally like running out my door here in london all the way to the lake district but on very remote and very difficult technical trail um so you, you're going into it with uh, knowledge of the course, but also the reality of, like, you could roll your ankle in the first mile, um, especially on that kind of rocky terrain. So I didn't feel like, oh, wow, this this is definitely in the bag, you know, it's like a victory lap. I actually felt like, oh, wow, there's a lot of things that could go wrong knowing how difficult this course is. And all of these courses are unique because they're either point to point or they're or they're loops. They're not out yeah. and backs. And like you said, they're not stages as well. Um, but was Moab made longer and higher this year as well? <laughs> yeah, good, good knowledge. Good just, knowledge. Just um, just to add to a you know just to add all of that on to what you've just done. Just to improve the torture a little bit more. <laughs> so yeah, basically they added an extra 12 miles to make sure that it definitely came up to 240. So that meant an extra climb. Shea Mountain in the Abahos is already a very difficult and long climb, which features a big climb up, a false summit, another climb, a decline down, then another climb up just to get to the top of or Shea Mountain Aid Station. Then they've added an extra section, which is six miles more of straight up climbing um, up over the new high point of the course at 11,000 feet um, in the Abahos, back down the other side to Monticello Lake, and then an additional uh, well aid station there. And then after that aid station, some more miles to get you back onto what was the route and then uh, later in the race in the most difficult section the LaSalle mountains um, they added a new access point um, from Pole Canyon into uh, the Giza Pass section 
which um, I complimented Candice and Garrett, the uh, race directors, at the end of the race, and say, you've managed to find a bit of big Bigfoot and, <laughs> and bring it down to Moab because it was just fallen trees, overgrown brush that you're just pushing through. And, you know, I went into that section probably 1.30 in the morning. So, you know, you imagine being in a deep, dark forest on the trail in the UK and, you know, multiply that effect by 10. And, um, yeah, it's, un- it's unnerving at times and you do get nervous and scared because you're thinking this is this tough, but, my God, it makes you feel alive when you do stuff like that, I for sure. I the adrenaline rush. You mentioned there race directors and aid stations. What is the organisation like for these races? Because, yeah, obviously, a lot of work needs to go into them. It's incredible. Honestly, uh, it, it blows my mind. And, and Destination Trail, the, the organisation that, that put on these races, they... I can't fault them. Just absolutely brilliant people, like so enthusiastic. Um, the courses are just amazing and, and so well designed. Um, they really challenge you, but you get to see beautiful scenery. You know, every difficult climb at Bigfoot ends with a beautiful view of uh, Mount St. Helens or Mount Adams or whatever it is. And it's the same at Moab. You know, you push yourself, but you get to see some incredible things. And then you add to that the, the fact that these are extremely, extremely remote races and you'll get to an aid station 3 a.m in the middle of uh you know the, the deep dark forest or the you know the mountains and there'll be these most enthusiastic volunteers and staff cheering you on getting you anything dealing with blisters um and not only that like the the dining options <laughs> oh. i mean it's crazy you come in like do you want a burger do you want a quesadilla or a wrap you know hash browns grilled cheese all those things um, they've gone to. So the Americans are very good at, at those kind of aid stations. And um, I think, you know, so remote and go on for so long, you do have to have that real food element for sure. And they're very good at bringing uh, some of those creature comforts into the wild, I guess. I mean, you can have all of that food, but you might know that in the next hour, it's going to be coming back up, unfortunately. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It's but good in the moment. Enjoy it while it happens. <laughs> yeah. um, so obviously coming towards the end of that race, I mean, you finished 14th out of 200 um, starters, which was amazing. At what point towards those last miles do you start to let your mind wander? Or is that quite a dangerous game? Is in wonder, as in I'm almost there, I've almost completed it. And when did the emotions start to sink in? Um, it was... It's really interesting because you, you mentioned earlier about like, did you think about the the whole the triple crown or was it individual races? Actually, you know, coming into the last race, I obviously did think, you know, this is on, but you've got a long way to go. And um, I got to mile, it was the 200 mile aid station after the toughest section, Giza Pass, and I thought, well, you know, as long as I can stay fit and healthy, I can get to the end here. And there are, had been points along the way, along the journey that you'd kind of thought, what's it going to feel like to run those last couple of miles? Because the last couple of miles, um, you come out of the, the wilderness, you come off a massive uh, rocky plateau called Porcupine Rim, which is high above the Colorado River. And you've got to descend and you come down onto a road section and the road section's three miles. And the last time I ran that road section, I ran it really, really well. Um, this time... I'd envisage what it'd feel like, you know, maybe running with the, the Union Jack and Welsh flag and, you know, just I'd envisage this daytime finish that was, you know, similar to what had happened uh, when I went there in, in, in 2021. 
um it was nothing like that it was um it was a, a real battle of survival so um i came through the the 220 mile aid station it was getting towards sundown i knew it was going to be really technical and really difficult once the sun went down on that section i've had previous battles on that section as well uh and i had to really work just to get myself down to the road i was very tired very confused uncertain as to why we were still running the race questioning my pacer on directions being the best way to describe it is like imagine trying to get a drunk into a taxi in central london or cardiff uh when that taxi is uh and that drunk are on the side of a cliff in the middle of the night um and they've run 220 <laughs> miles very very difficult yeah and eventually yeah, it's challenging. There's no beer. I, I was sleep drunk is the best way, or run drunk is probably the best way to, to describe it. Um, and it was only really in the last mile where I could start to see uh, the bridge over the Colorado River that leads to the finish line, which you kind of run under the bridge and then back around. And it was only when I got to seeing that that I actually got some semblance of reality. It was like, oh, this is happening. And the this is real now. Like this is this is the moment. It didn't feel like I envisaged it until I got to that point, right. and then I was like, right, give me my flags because I'm ready to get this thing done. <laughs> yeah, I am done after 249 hours and 17 minutes. You finished fifth out of the 36 finishers, and 50% of the runners that started the triple series dropped out. Um, for various different reasons. I mean, that in itself just shows that people taking in, on these type of races are hardcore ultra runners. And for th- for Thank that you. to be the dropout rate um, and for you to finish fifth is, is an unbelievable, like you said about you, yourself and Sally finishing fourth and fifth at the Boston Run Show and then, you know, thinking that that would take place a year later. Unbelievable feeling. And, and what's extraordinary is you only slept about eight hours across the three races. Which, yeah. like you said, that's why you have to get that sleep strategy right. Percent, and um, yeah, I just even now talking to you and recounting it all. This is the kind of first time I've talked to anyone really about it in detail, and um, it all seems like a bit of a bit of a dream, to be honest with you. And um, I just feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to go and do it, and um, just means uh, the world to me to be the first Briton to do it. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a hell of a journey, but I'm glad I got it done. And and on the account that you gave, um, which is again on our, on our website, you thoroughly encourage anyone to go and take it on because this sometimes can be uh, uh, an females may not be encouraged to go and do this type of racing, but actually over races over a hundred, I think it says you said 120 miles. I can't remember the exact number, but actually female races perform better than male races, and actually. It, it, Ignore so society and whatever that people may think. If you want to go on take take go and take something like this on, go and do it because it's and you can I can see it and people can hear it from your voice and just ex- your experiences. It's an unbelievable challenge to complete, but also what you get out of it as well. And supporting the charities and the organisations that we mentioned that you mentioned at the beginning as well, incredibly important. So all of that being a package together, <laughs> an unbelievable experience. <laughs> Uh, yeah it's been an unbelievable journey and and like you say like i think ultra run is such an amazing sport it teaches you so much about yourself it gives you so many different opportunities in life and yeah the opportunity to do well and i would encourage 
anyone to go out and give it a try. And and when you do, I think you'll you'll find some very special things happen. You just learn so much about yourself, really, and so much that you can put yourself through and skills that you can take not just into the running world but into day-to-day life to, to help with resilience too so um yeah just feel very lucky and, and very fortunate to have had this uh, this adventure well we've we've already covered and you've already spoke about a few things that might be coming up next um and i just want to say thank you so much for, for your time and talking through these experiences um because it is it really is incredible um but there's only one more thing to get from you and that is a piece of advice again at the beginning Monique offered you a piece of advice now it's your opportunity to leave a piece of advice for someone coming onto the podcast in the near future <laughs> I think my piece of advice would be centered around um, having an adventure in life and doing some good um, and I would say to people what do you want to remember in life will it be the times where you sat on the sofa and watched Netflix or watch the football or whatever it is, or will it be the times where you went out, had an adventure, uh, and tried to do some good at the same time? And that would be my advice. Have adventure in life, do some good, and create seminal moments. Scott, it's been a genuine pleasure. I really look forward to passing that along. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tom. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and thank you to Scott for spending the time talking through these incredible, incredible races over in America. I mean, it's just an unbelievable achievement and I hope that it inspired some of you to take on your own challenges. Now, look, it doesn't have to be a 200 mile ultra marathon through the Rocky Mountains of Washington State. It can be taking on your first park run. It's coming up this Saturday. Maybe just sign up and go for free with a family member, a friend or a colleague. Try and do something difficult and new this week if you can. And like I said at the beginning, if you would just do the uh, massive favour of sharing this podcast with someone you think that would enjoy it just as much as you and could do with a bit of inspiration this week, then please do that. It really, really helps more than you can imagine. And I want to keep growing this outside and active community. You can find more podcasts and more written content on our website, outsideandactive.com. And I'll be back next week with another fantastic guest. I can't wait for you to listen. Until that time, enjoy the outdoors. Outdoors.